Good. Well, thank you uh, very much. It's great to be here this morning. It's a great privilege to come and worship with you guys. And then this new venue as well. Sounds, you know, brilliant, doesn't it? I think it's, you know, really exciting to be here and really exciting as well to come and just share the word of God with you this morning. Um, we are journeying through the first epistle of Paul to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. Um, so, you know, each week, you know, the message is going to be, you know, coming from that book. So let me really encourage you to read that book, get familiar with it. If you've got any, you know, commentaries or other books about that book, then read those as well um, and get yourself really full of the word of God and read ahead as well. So, you know, today this is chapter two. Next time it's going to be chapter three. So come next week, you know, having read chapter three and be familiar with it. Um, and I believe that um, the Lord has a lot to say to us really across our, our congregations um, from this book in the next, well, I think it's probably going to take next several months, let's say that way, in the next several months. Um, so I'm starting from, uh, oh, I just wanted to say as well, actually, I just wanted to just say, um, I want to particularly encourage you guys to get along to the prayer meeting um, this week. I um, believe Paul was, was talking as well. You know, we just believe God really wants to meet with us in prayer as we pray together across these uh, three prayer meetings on the, on the Wednesday evening. Um, I think it'd be just a sweetness, really, of time, um, you know, with the Lord and in the Spirit. Um, and I believe it's a case of, you know, both us praying and bringing our petitions, but also hearing from God. And I think he really has stuff to lay on our hearts as well that he would have us pray for. So let me just, you know, really encourage you to get along to those events um, and make what time you can available. Okay, so we are in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, and I'm looking at um, the 10 verses that go from 6 to 16. I'm going to read them out to you now. I've got a New American Standard. You'll have different versions. Words will be slightly different, but the message will be the same. The truth contained within will be the same. So here we go. Um, verse 6. Yet... We do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, a hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. 
which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, if you've been around the last few weeks, or if you know the beginning of Corinthians there, you'll understand the context. There's a lot of debate, a lot of argument, perhaps doctrinal discussion, theological discussion, philosophy, a lot of intellectual pursuit. Now, the Greeks loved all that stuff and they were good at it. And indeed, they were quite proud of the fact that they were good at it. And, you know, we have to acknowledge 2000 years later, pretty much, you know, the whole mindset of the Western world is founded on that Greek philosophy. Even our words, you know, politics, democracy, they are Greek words. An ology, an ology, that's a Greek word. They're good at maths and geometry and science. This is where it's all come from. So what Paul's digging down to is he's saying, well, how is it then that we know stuff? How do we actually know stuff? How do we know things? Well, you know, we, we apprehend the physical world through our senses, don't we? Our five senses, or six if you include balance. It's what we see and hear, what we can touch. And if we can't see and hear things with our own senses as they are, we enhance them, don't we? We, we, we create instruments to measure things, to read things, to, to determine, to measure the world around us. And then we use logic and reason to deduce the things that must be the case. We work it through that, that way. But what about spiritual stuff? I mean, God is spirit. He is invisible and he is not part of this created world around us, the created physical world, the material world that we see and apprehend with our Senses, well, he has made all of that. He existed before that, and it only exists because he declared it to be so. So God is very much other. That's what makes him holy. So how do we know him, and how do we know about him? The Corinthians, of course, had the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. I mean, you know, here is the letter that Paul's... That's now part of the New Testament. They didn't have the New Testament... It seems as if perhaps um, the uh, it seems as if perhaps Peter was travelling around. We, we we indicate that maybe Peter had already passed through Corinth. He may be travelling around and telling you know the stories, his fantastic stories of life with the Lord Jesus, and perhaps giving them you know the the parables and some of the sayings of Jesus. 
It seems that Mark um, was just beginning to write his gospel. Um, he may well have been writing stuff down um, about this sort of time. But really, they just had the Old Testament to go on. And Paul, Paul is a deeply intellectual guy. We know that he studied uh, in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. He was, uh, you know, he is a great um, uh, speaker and teacher and thinker. He's a great intellectual. But um, we're left with that thought about how do, we, how do we know stuff. Paul begins to explain he sets out for us that there are, there are two wisdoms, as it were. There's a wisdom in the world and there's another wisdom, a higher wisdom, a wisdom from God. He contrasts a dry and dusty kind of headache <laughs> intellectualism from the human world proceeding from the flesh and he contrasts that with a refreshing life-giving, enlightening, that, that kind of vision where, you know, do, do you remember when, the, when, the, when the, there's an account at the end of Luke's gospel where the two guys were on the road to Emmaus and Jesus comes and walks with them and they didn't, they didn't recognise who he was. And they're talking about, you know, the crucifixion and the rumours of the resurrection. And it says um, he began, you know, and basically just went, I mean, I'd love to, it wouldn't have been fantastic. He just systematically went through the Old Testament and pointed out all the verses that, you know, pointed to him. And they said, didn't they, they said, did not our hearts burn within us as he explained the scriptures to us on the road? I mean, that's the kind of wisdom we're talking about. OK, so verse six here, wisdom, that word is uh, Sophos is where we get um, is where we get Sophia and Sophie from. So well done. Hello, Sophie, Sophia and Sophie. Wisdom. And he says, not of this age, not of this eon, not of this age. Um, and he says the rulers and uh, that word is uh, the princes, the the influence, the um, the first order, as it were, first order thinkers of this world, the rulers of this age um, uh, are, are passing away. The phrase is come to nothing. The King James Version is come to naught. I like that. <laughs> Paul makes much in this book of the fact that this age around us is passing away and that we belong to the next age. We are heirs of the next age. We're evidence now of the next age to come. There's an overlapping of the ages. So he sees the age around us and the wisdom of this age as passing away. So verse 7, he says, we speak God's wisdom. He says it's a mystery. It's something hidden and concealed. What he says is that there is a wisdom from God that has been hidden and concealed and kept for us for this time for this age and it is now being revealed and he says that wisdom is our glory and what is that wisdom well if we just go back to the previous chapter we can see uh, let me read to you um chapter 123 we preach christ crucified to the jews a stumbling block and to gentiles foolishness 
but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And dropping down to verse 30, but by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He's talking about the gospel. He says that the gospel, he says the gospel is like, a, if you imagine um, a richly uh, tapestried garment um, that's, been, that's been prepared beforehand and has been ordained beforehand for us. It's been prepared and it's been hidden. But now the time has come and now God has clothed us with that garment which is the gospel he says that is our glory that is the glory of the church the fact that we have the gospel we understand the things of redemption we understand the things of forgiveness of reconciliation with God of righteousness of sanctification this is a wisdom that has been granted to us and that we carry, we carry it corporately, we carry it individually, but it's a glory to us as the church. Remember that when it's, you know, time for evangelism. Remember that, it's our glory. And verse eight there, he says, um, it's, a, it's a wisdom that they didn't understand. They didn't know it. They couldn't understand it. This, this is the wisdom of love. It's the wisdom of of sacrifice, the wisdom of the greatest love and the greatest sacrifice, the wisdom of the ever-living one who dies so that we might be redeemed, so that we might be saved. That's the wisdom that we're talking about. That's the wisdom of love. And he says they don't understand it. And if they had understood it, they wouldn't have crucified him. But, you know, there's a, there's a, a paradox there, isn't there, that in their lack of understanding and in their crucifying of the Lord Jesus, they do, in fact, bring about their, their salvation. They bring about their redemption from their darkness and lack of understanding. It's, it's all there. I wanted to um, just note as well, what a wonderful phrase here, the Lord of glory. There's a name for the Lord for you, the Lord of glory, the Lord of glory. Um, Paul then uh, takes a quotation. This is a quotation, uh, verse 9 is a quotation from Isaiah 64. Um, and it says something about the ways of God here. Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard. Things which have not entered the heart of man. How lovely, how wonderful is the fatherhood of God to us. God has already prepared. This is God's way. He prepares things. He prepares things in secret and then he reveals them. And this passage here talks about how God has prepared things beforehand. And, you know, um, these things have not been seen. They're prepared in himself. They're prepared in his heart. Nobody's seen these things and nobody's heard of them. 
Nobody's even overheard a discussion amongst the Trinity about these things. It's all unknown except in the mind and the heart of God. And then he brings them about. You know, there is a, there is a wonderful new heaven and a wonderful new earth that is prepared for you, for you to inherit. It's not been seen yet. It will be revealed. It will be revealed. And, you know, we couldn't even conceive of it. We couldn't even imagine it. Now, I've got to say, some people have got really good imaginations. I don't know, did you, have you seen that film Avatar? In that film Avatar, I remember going to see that film at the cinema on a big screen. And, uh, yeah, forget the storyline. I'm just thinking about the imagination involved in creating this world of um, beautiful bioluminescence and the colours and the shapes of the plants and the animals and how they all connect to one another. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a great idea. It's a wonderful world that, you know, the, you, you're taken into. Um, but, you know, that's something that's entered the heart of man. That's something that, you know, people can think of and they can create with their computer graphics. We're talking about stuff here that you couldn't even think of. In your wildest imagination, you could not even conceive of these things that God has already prepared for you. So, you know, you think it might be, you know, better than this. <laughs> I mean, my goodness, infinitely better beyond all that you can, all that you can ask or imagine. There's that, there's that great phrase, isn't there, in, um, in Ephesians 3.20 that talks about um, above and beyond all that you can ask or think. You know, how, how good God is to prepare these things for us. Above and beyond all that you could ask. I mean, you know, we can ask for some pretty, pretty big stuff, can't we? You know, we can think of some pretty big stuff. Way beyond all of that. Things that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man. This is what God has prepared for those who love him. And I want to say, you know, God has prepared that as not just you know, after death, I'm talking about now, before death. I, I remember when I was preparing this, I was, you know, just going back in my mind and I can remember um, back in the, the summer, it was, of 2007 and my mother was dying. She was passing away and didn't have much longer to live. And I can remember I was working in pool and um, there wasn't a lot of work on. <laughs> Uh, I had quite long lunch breaks and uh, the weather was lovely and I can remember just getting out and walking along the perimeter of the, um, of the harbour wall there. Um, it was a, no a lovely long walk that you could take. And um, it's funny how you can remember, I think, when, you know, when God speaks significant things, I, I find I can remember where I am at the time. Um, so I just went back in my mind and I remembered walking along that and I can remember... The Lord just speaking to me, you know, just he just drops into your heart and just saying there are good days ahead. There are good days ahead. And just, you know, so encouraging me and just such an anchor of hope there. There are good days ahead. And, uh, you know, 
There were, there were wonderful days ahead. You couldn't think about it at the moment. I, I couldn't think about it at the time, but um, of course life goes on. And, you know, I remembered those good days. And I remember the Lord saying that when my boys um, at their weddings, when they got married, um, we were just talking earlier, weren't we? You know, you know thank God, you know, they, they, they married some, you know, wonderful women of God. Um, and there are now grandchildren as well. Now, I know when you're young, you can't really think about that. But believe me, when you get older, you know, they're just a great joy. And those are the good days, really. I think about those. And I felt really, particularly at my son's wedding, that kind of nudge that, hey, here's the good days. And you think, yeah. So back then, you know, in, in, in those dark days for me, the Lord saw what was prepared, what was coming. He could say, I couldn't even conceive of those things at the time, but he could see my whole life. He knew what else was coming. He knew the good days that lied ahead and encouraged me with it. Psalm 103, one to five talks about, um, bless the Lord, all my soul. Um, and it says, he satisfies your years with good things. I want to tell you, God has a way. Our heavenly father has a way of satisfying our hearts with the good things of life, of this life, satisfying our hearts with the good things of this life, never mind what lies ahead. So, okay, back to the text, verse 10. For to us, God revealed then through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. So how do we know then about the things of God? How do we know about the invisible, unmeasurable things here is the answer god reveals them to us by his spirit Do you know what that word reveal is apocalypto is where we get the word apocalypse from apocalypse means revelation now i think in this day and age the meaning of that word has changed and tends to be all about cataclysm and end of the world disaster and all the rest of it but you know the name of that book at the end of your Bible is the Apocalypse. That's what it means. It means a revelation, an unveiling, a disclosure. This is the way of God. He prepares things in secret and hidden and then reveals them, reveals them to us by his spirit. This is the age of the outpouring of the spirit you guys me and you guys you know in christendom we've got it far better than the old testament guys ever had it for each one of us the spirit of god is poured out in our hearts that is a new spectacular and wonderful thing and it's something that you know, Jesus talked about the promise of my father, didn't he? He said to his disciples, wait until you receive the promise of my father. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the Holy Spirit is poured out in this day and age. This is how we know these things. They are no longer hidden. And here we find that, you know, the spirit of God searches. It, the, the, the phrase there, he's, he searches even the deep of God. That's a phrase and a half, isn't it? The spirit searches even the deep of God. There's nothing. Uh, there's no limit. There's no, there's no, there's nothing. There's no place. 
There's nothing that the Spirit doesn't know. There's no place that the Spirit can't be. There's nothing hidden from the Holy Spirit. He is in and through everything. And then, you know, verse 11, look how very personal this is. Um, Who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? You know, we soon learn, don't we, that our thoughts are private, that people don't read our thoughts. I mean, there is the grace of God. eh? That is the grace of God. Because honestly, if people could read our minds, you know, yeah. So, you know, that's so thank God for that. But, you know, there's a secret place, isn't there? There is a hidden place. There is an inner space that we inhabit where our thought life are. That's the place, you know, where our, where our greatest uh, joy is and where our greatest fear is. That's the place, you know, when it's when, you know, when it's dark at night and quiet and you're in bed and it's just, you know, you can be aware of it's just me. You're aware of yourself, aren't you? And the things that go on in your head and things that go on in your heart. The Holy Spirit inhabits that place. He's in there with you. Right in that place of those secret thoughts, secret fears, secret hopes, secret desires. I mean, that can be a bit worrying because, yeah, it's not exactly, you know, a very clean place, is it? You know, we are also aware of how sinful we are and how selfish we are and how fallen and broken we are in that place, aren't we? And yet, that's the place that the Holy Spirit of God inhabits. Paul makes much of this in future chapters about how we're the temple of God and, you know, talks about the power of God in us and that kind of thing. I'll leave that to other chapters. But right now, you know, he's saying this this is it. Very personal. So the same Spirit. And, uh, you know, when we're talking about here the Spirit, he says, we have received the Spirit, verse 12, we have received... Not the spirit of God, but the spirit who is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. You know, the. The Greek construction there. um, We have received. So that that means we have we have taken into ourselves. We have we have imbibed. We have. We have absorbed, we have received into ourselves. There's a, there's a sort of, you know, there's a, an active, uh, you know, opening and, and taking in. We have received, we have imbibed the spirit which is um, of God. Now, that, that means not, not, not the spirit that's from God, as in being sent from and not just of God as in belonging to God, as if the spirit is something separate and distinct that can be sent from him to us, okay? Not that, but um, of God as in flows from him, of as as in is the same nature as him. The spirit, the essence, the very being of God. So, you know, 
The spirit is one with God, is God, is one with God, and yet also is in us. Something that we have now received in. This is, I'm telling you, this is like next level religion here, isn't it? You know, this is, we're not talking about rules and regulations that we follow here. We're, we're talking about, you know, that very essence of the Holy One, of God himself being in us. And that's how we know stuff. There's another way of knowing things for Christians. We don't have to rely on our senses or on our logic and reason to know these things. We know these things because he's in us. And that's what can be so infuriating, isn't it? When you're trying to witness to your friends and you say, and they say, well, how do you know that Jesus is alive? And you say, I just know it. I just know it. How do you know God is real? How do you know this is the truth? How do you know you're going to go to heaven? I just know it. I just know it. The Bible talks about the Spirit being a witness, a witness to us. The Spirit of God witnesses to our spirit that we are children of God. He says, you know, you're one way. So we get that sense of belonging and that assurance so you might not know, you might not be able to articulate the theology and the doctrine of, you know, why you can be sure of these things. But you can witness to the fact that I'm sure it doesn't matter what you say to me. You can argue it up one hill and down the other. It doesn't change the way I believe. I know these things are true. And even while somebody's arguing with you, and you can be baffled up here and think, well, I don't know what the answer to that is. Yet down here, in your spirit, the spirit of God just says, no, you know, you're one. You're a child of God. You're safe. Don't worry about it. You're good. And we have that, we have that song. I was thinking of it while I was preparing this. That, that uh, old hymn. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. That's, the, that's what you know, isn't it? You know you're an heir of salvation. You know you're going to inherit. You know heaven awaits you after death. Yeah? Resurrection awaits you. Purchase of God. I belong to him. I am born of the Spirit of God. You know that. I'm born again, born of the Spirit of God. I am washed in his blood. So whereas the enemy might sit on your shoulder and tell you of all your sin and all of your failure and all of your guilt, yet in the Spirit in here, the Spirit of God testifies to you, no, you are justified. And what God justifies, who will condemn? He says, you're washed in the blood of Jesus. He says, what was done on the cross is enough for your salvation. And we know those things. And we, you know, we hear those things inside of us because of the spirit. And so we can sing, can't we? This is my story. This is my song. Praising my saviour all the day long. So that's how we know stuff. That's where that assurance comes from. It's infuriating <laughs> to the rest of the world who don't know these things. We teach this stuff. Verse 13, 
which things we also speak. We speak about these things. We witness about these things, even to the point of death, even to the point of a martyr's death. We testify this is the truth and no one can rob it from us. And we're taught by the Spirit. John 14, Jesus says, you know, the, the, uh, when, I, when I go, the Spirit will come. He will be with you. He will be in you. He will be that guide that will lead you. He will lead you into all truth. He will hear from the Father and he will disclose to you. He is our teacher. He is our guide. And my, my prayer every time I'm preaching, every time I preach is that, you know, you're you're listening to these things, but individually for each one of you, the Spirit of God is taking, taking one part and quickening it to you, speaking a word of confirmation or, or encouragement or direction or correction or correction even, you know, speaking to us and just aligning us with the Word of God in us, inside, that stuff's going on inside. And we teach others the same way, combining spiritual with spiritual. That word there is um, synchronizing. Um, so this is this idea of finding, you know, you find patterns in Scripture. You find that what the one word here matches another word there, that one word adds and, you know, can be added onto another. And, you, you know, you, things build up bit by bit. It's this sense of taking here and taking there and the Spirit combining these things and and then quickening a truth to you that you, you know, that you see and you receive that. This is how it works. Now, verse 14, a natural man does not accept the things of God. The natural man, the earthly, the unenlightened, the unspiritual. The word there, natural, is, is the same word where we get um, our word um, uh, psychiatrist and psychiatric things to do with the psyche things to do with the the mind up here the natural man is operating on the mind there's no spirit down here that's alive to god he's dead to god down here up here he's operating and what paul is saying is the natural man doesn't accept the things of the spirit because they're received spiritually and the natural man is dead to god and, and can't receive those things doesn't understand them in fact he says they are foolishness to him. Well, you know what that word? <laughs> that word is um, moron. He says the natural man is a moron. That is the Greek word that's used. Foolishness. It's, he's a moron. He's moronic. So just remember that, okay, when you, your, your, your neighbour or your work colleague's trying to argue this, that and the other, just think... You're a moron, aren't you? An absolute moron. It's there in Scripture. You can say it, right? There's a lot of moronic behaviour around these days, isn't there? Yeah? Morons, a lot of them. There's a common sense here, look. It says, but he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. You know, there's a... I'm just... A, a, just conscious you know there is a there is a common sense amongst the people of God for the things of life um, which contrasts against the foolishness of many in the world and we see it when you make decisions about 
well, I don't know, when you make decisions about money, finance, you make decisions about relationships. Some people are, you know, they seem, you know, to be very foolish. But in the church, I think there is a, there's a wisdom and understanding about how to behave towards one another, you know, how to, how to you know, love one another, how to bring up your children, how to, uh, you know, how to feed yourselves and clothe yourselves, you know, and, and just get about with the, you know, the general things of life. It seems to come to us naturally. And, you know, in your, in your employment, in your workplaces, you'll do your jobs well and you'll do them with excellence and your 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 colleagues around you will wonder at you know why are you doing it that way and you know here's a brilliant new way of doing things or i don't know a different graph that can illustrate this point or you know some new uh rule or procedure that you can bring in that improves things you know christians are doing that all the time we are the salt of the earth we are, wherever we are in whatever aspect of life, we will be doing things better because of the Spirit of God in us that's just bringing us that sense, that common sense, that wisdom from God just exuding in all different aspects. And all different. So don't be concerned that you're different to others. You think differently to others. You view things differently to others. You see things differently to others. You say things differently to others because you're different because that spirit of god is in you making the difference making the difference so get out there and be salt and light and sweetness and brighten up everybody's world because boy do they need it because they're the morons all right you're not the okay and so we finished in verse 16 here who has known the mind of the lord that he will instruct him this is a a, a reference back to um Isaiah 40, um, and uh, well, in fact, let me just read that to you. You get the flavour of it. It goes. There's several chapters of it, but I'll just pick up a bit of it here. Um, so Isaiah 40. I'm going to go from verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and marked off the heavens by the span, and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure, and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills? in a pair of scales who has directed the spirit of the lord or as his counselor has informed him with whom did he consult and who gave him understanding and who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding behold the nations are like a drop in a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales and, you know, and so it goes on and it's basically just saying and there's a there's another similar passage in Job from Job chapter 38 onwards. Paul, Paul basically starts saying to Job, you know, and, you know, where were you then when I was making the heavens and the earth? You know, did I should I have asked you about the way to do this? Where were you when I flung the stars out into space? And yet they're all there, every one of them. And I know them by name. And he's just kind of, you know, just saying, look, there's, there's me and there's you. All right, now, <laughs> you know, he didn't have to ask anybody and he doesn't have to ask anybody or consult with anybody about what he does. What he does is good and perfect and true through and through and through. Who has known the mind of the Lord that he would instruct him? But 
we have the mind of Christ. Those very same thoughts are available to us. Those very same thoughts are available to us. We have the mind of Christ. Now, it is a corporate thing, that. Okay, so I don't think I can stand here and say, I have the mind of Christ, any more than I could stand here and say, I am the body of Christ. Okay, we are the body of Christ. Together, we have the mind of Christ together. So, um, you know, so go and get some good counsel from your other bodily members, from your other brothers and sisters, so that together we might know the mind of Christ on, on different situations and different circumstances. But be encouraged that such access is available, that the Spirit of God flows through all of us and even the deep of God, as it says there. OK, I'm going to finish really just by reminding you and I want to I want you to remember this right the way through, really. I think this is our this is our core um, verse, really, from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 talks about God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son Christ Jesus our Lord that's your primary calling I think that is Paul's motivation in all of this to call us into fellowship to draw us into fellowship with the Lord Jesus never mind about knowing this that and the other ultimately it's about knowing the Lord Jesus not knowing about him but knowing him, being called into fellowship. If you're wondering, well, I don't know what my calling is, or other people say, oh, this is my calling, that's I wanted to tell you, that is your calling. That is your first calling. That is your primary calling. You are called into fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm going to pray. And then um, I'm going to draw us back to um, that song, Blessed Assurance. I'm sure many of you know that chorus. Um, we're going to sing that together. But first, let me just pray. Father, I want to just thank you for this great wisdom about salvation, about the Lord Jesus, about how you so love the world that you gave your son about how the Father sends the Son into the world to save the world, about how if we believe in our heart, if we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Thank you for this great wisdom about the cross and how in love you came and sacrificed yourself for us that we might be saved and might be caught up with you. And I thank you for the greatness of that salvation, so great that even in the darkness of our own hearts, in the sinfulness and fallenness of our own hearts, you are able to come and dwell with us and that you'll dwell with us through all eternity. You will be with us when we draw our last breath, and you will be with us when we draw our first breath in our resurrected bodies. Lord, you 
Holy Spirit are with us through and through. And I thank you for that assurance that we have, that witness in our heart, that yes and amen in our spirits, that we belong to you, that we are washed, we are cleansed, we are justified, we are saved, and that we have a secure future eternity with you. And we just read these words. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. I'm an heir of salvation, purchased of God. I'm born of his spirit. I'm washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my saviour all the day long. Let's stand together and let's sing those words and take it from there. Amen? Amen.